usually give thanks for the fact that years ago we switched hymnals. <laughs> and one of the blessings is that we got a much bigger Christmas section. I don't know if you remember that, but I remember that. And it was quite a noticeable change at the Christmas season. And so we would sing Who Is He in Yonder Stall and a number of uh, great Christmas songs we didn't sing prior. Well, let's turn in our Bibles to Philippians, Philippians chapter 3. And if we cover all the passage, we'll finish the chapter tonight. If not, we'll pick it up next Sunday, next Sunday, next Wednesday. Philippians 3, and the verses that follow these famous verses that we just finished last week, uh, 10 and 13 and 14, um, are also quite important, quite helpful and needful. And so Philippians 3 is the reading. And if you're able to stand with me, do so for the reading of God's word. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse number 15. And I think I'm just going to read verse 12 to uh, lead us into verse 15. So verse 12 down to the end of the chapter. Philippians 3. Not as though I had already attained or were already perfect, but I follow after. If that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brothers, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind and reaching forward to those things that are ahead. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, be thus minded, and if in anything you are otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to what we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Brothers, be followers together of me, and mark those who walk so, as you have us for an example. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is, their sh is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from where we also look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned similar to his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things to himself." Let's have prayer. Pastor Jeremiah, would you pray tonight? Amen. Please be seated. Well, I think some of you are aware that on Thanksgiving Day, I ran in a 5K. Now, the word ran is being stretched a little bit because there were moments that I walked in a 5K <laughs> and there were moments I ran in the 5K. Um, I was thankful that I finished in the top uh, 300 out of 900. So I just 
I hold that up as my little consolation prize. Um, there was a number of older folks in this and small children. But hey, I was in the top 300. But as I was in this um, race, you know, there's the finish line, right? The finish line is ahead of you, and you're pressing toward that finish line. Now, in the moment where I uh, slowed down to a walk, I was still moving towards the finish line, but not quite so quickly and not quite so passionately. And I pulled out my inhaler several times and took my inhaler. But if I were to have stopped, they had water tables, right? If I was to stop at the water table and I was to take a cup of water and start chatting with the workers and just say, you know, these water cups are filled to perfection. You guys did great. Appreciate it. And uh, I think I'm just going to have a seat right here, right? They would look at me as crazy. They would say, why aren't you? I thought you were in the race, right? I thought you were, were going toward the finish line. What are you thinking? When we pick up, we're picking up kind of in the middle of the paragraph. And one thing I enjoy about the Simplified is it is broken down into paragraphs. And that is a very helpful thing, generally speaking. Um, some of the other Bibles I've used in my life have each verse separate. And you kind of don't always know the, the flow of thought. We're, we ended at verse 14. And he's picking up on the same wavelength of what he's talked about in the prior three verses. So he just got done saying, I... I'm forgetting those things that are behind. I'm pressing forward toward those things that are ahead of me. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So that's where we ended. And where we pick up, he continues to talk about this attitude of pressing forward because you've not yet reached the mark. You've not yet finished your race. You're not yet perfect. And so verse 15, he says, Let us therefore... As many as are perfect, be thus minded. And if anything, if in anything you are otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this to you. He's called, he, it's interesting here. He says in verse 15, as many as are perfect. Right? As many of you as are perfect. Uh, let me ask a quick question. If I had say tonight, church, how many of you are perfect? Would you raise your hand? You'd say, no, I wouldn't raise my hand because I read verse 12. What does verse 12 say? Not as though I had already attained or were already perfect. All right, so there's two kind of ways to understand this perfect. Paul, some people think Paul is challenging those who think that they actually are perfect or are living as though they're perfect and they're not reaching out to anything else. They're, they're very content and settled. And he, he calls on them. I tend to think that he's using this term in the idea of mature. And so what he says, let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, be thus minded. He says us, right? Paul includes himself in this. So how can Paul call himself perfect when just three verses earlier he said he was not perfect, right? Well, um, this word is, uh, back in, in 1 Corinthians 2.6, it is translated mature, although we speak wisdom among those who are mature. And... The, the word means to bring to completion, to bring to, to be uh, whole, or to be mature. So I think the idea is what he's saying, is there's some of us who have this mindset. We have grown up in our spiritual life. We know we're imperfect. We've forgot those things that are behind us. We're pressing forward to those things that are ahead. And those of you that have this mindset, those of you that are mature in the faith, and you understand that, that you're on a mission, and you're focused on the goal, and you're moving ahead for the Lord, forgetting that which is behind you let us therefore as many as are perfect be 
thus minded. Let's continue in this mindset. Let's continue in this. And he, he says, uh, he uses the word uh, in this next section, he says, if in anything you are otherwise minded. So if you're mature, have this mind. But if you are otherwise minded, and uh, again, the idea is there are some that are otherwise minded. And can I just remind us that in, in our Christian life, we rub shoulders with Christians that have varying mindsets. If you haven't noticed that, pay attention. <laughs> we rub shoulders with Christians of varying mindsets. Paul is specifically talking about a certain mindset here about reaching forward to what's ahead, pressing toward the mark, running his race, forgetting the things behind him, and realizing he's not perfect, but still stretching out towards what is next. He's still growing. Um, I'm thankful that I've had the chance to interact with some saints of the Lord who have walked with God for 50 and 60 years. And I knew that they were far ahead of me in their Christian walk, right? But you know, their mindset towards me was not, oh, you dummy, or you're such a loser Christian, or, you know, yeah, once you've walked with the Lord as long as I have, you'll see everything different, right? That was not their spirit at all. Their spirit was, hey, I'm still growing. You know, you, you come uh, grow along with me. You know, keep, is, the Lord is worth serving and look to the Lord. And they had a certain mindset. But he says, if in anything you are otherwise minded, God shall reveal this to you. I think he's saying that in those areas where you think, you know, you're content or where you're not reaching forward, those areas of your life or those among you, perhaps, who are not of this mind, God shall reveal even this to you. Have you ever asked God to reveal a blind spot in your life? Have you ever asked the Lord and you said, Dear God, would you reveal to me the area I need to work on most in my life? I think that is a very mature prayer. Maybe a little scary, but it's a very mature prayer, isn't it? Because it's someone that says, I want to move forward in my Christian life. I'm not content where I am. I want to go forward to the next thing. He says, God shall reveal even this to you. Now, when he talks about this, he goes on to say in verse 16, he kind of specifies it. Nevertheless, to what we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. In these two verses, I, I call this forward thinking. All right, forward thinking and, and also forward living, but he uses the word mind or, or uh, uh, minded, I think three times in these verses here. And he's saying we need to have this mindset that we're looking forward, that we're moving forward for the Lord, and we're reaching out to what is lacking in our life. There's a good contentment and a bad contentment that we can have, right? We need to be content about our homes and our vehicles and you know, content about, um, you know, what God's provided for us financially, and that's a good sort of contentment, right? I heard, I think uh, some philosopher said the way, there's two ways to be rich, and that is to have everything that you want, and the other is to want everything you already have, right? So that's a good kind of contentment. But Paul here is warning them about a bad sort of contentment that just kind of says, you know what? I mean, I'm, I'm not what I used to be, and the Lord's changed my life, and I kind of I like what He's done with me, and I think I'm just going to settle in, sit down, and enjoy the ride. That's a bad sort of contentment. A spiritual contentment that is not reaching forward to that which is before. So he says, nevertheless, to what we have already attained, 
Well, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. So to whatever areas we, we've, we've attained or we've grown in or we've reached milestones, we need to continue walking by the same rule. We need to continue minding the same thing. And the idea is to continue going forward for the Lord, not giving up ground that we have already gained. This is very interesting verses in relation to what we have just read, right? Because last week, we, we talked about reaching forward to that which is before. It's actually two weeks ago. That's why it seems so fuzzy, right? Two weeks ago. This was two weeks ago. Um, reaching forward to those things which are before. But he goes on to talk about the mindset that others need to have and, and, and to continue reaching forward and to not let go of the gains that you have already gained. He uses the word walk. Let us walk by the same rule. That word walk reminds me of Psalm 1-1. Do you remember Psalm 1-1? Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. The word walk has this idea of daily, regular living. Let us walk by the same rule. In other words, all of God's children should live by this rule. And this rule is this. Reach forward to those things that are ahead. Continue pressing. You have not yet attained and you've not yet uh, completed your spiritual journey, and don't get lax, don't get uh, lazy in your spiritual walk. And then he also says, let us mind the same thing. So we need to have the same walk, and we need to have the same mindset toward that same goal, that same identity, that same measure, reaching forward to those things that are ahead. So this is the forward thinking and the forward living. Now in verse 17, he's going to get a little more personal, and he he mentions himself as the good example. Technically, this is the good examples, plural, okay? Brothers, be followers together of me and mark those who walk so as you have us for an example. Okay, um, he tells them to be followers of him. Now, this is not the only place where Paul says this, right? Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1, be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ, right? A famous verse there. But Paul tells these, hey, you, you, you look to me, you, you follow me the way I'm running my race. And he holds himself up as an example. Um, some people would call that pride, wouldn't they? They'd say, well, Paul is just infected with pride here. Who does he think he is? Who does he think he is that, that he could tell other people to follow him? Well, let me remind us of a couple things. Paul was an apostle, right? with a special calling. God had given him a place, a special place of leadership. And, and as an apostle, it didn't mean he, he couldn't sin or he couldn't fail um, because he talks about that in Romans 7. He did sin. He did have his failures. But his point was as a whole, his life was moving towards the prize. He was reaching forward to those things that are before. And I also want to point out, he had lived for a number of decades by this point for the Lord Jesus. So he was not just some brand new convert. He's not just young in the Lord. And he's saying, hey, everybody, look at me. No, rather, he had served the Lord faithfully for many, many years when he says this. And he says, be followers together of me. Can I just remind us, there are always people who are following us. Someone is following you. Sometimes it's a lot. Sometimes it's a few, but that's really not the point. The point is some people are following you. Some people follow you not as the only one they follow, but as one of a number that they follow. 
And you know, uh, there is power and influence in numbers. And sometimes when, you, when a child has five good examples in their life that they're close to, right? And three of those turn away from the Lord. You know what that means for them? That means 60% of the people they have been following no longer follow the Lord, right? Well, what does that do to them? Well, it's true that there's still two, two of the five still following the Lord, right? But that, that can affect them. That can uh, lead them astray. It can defeat and discourage them. Paul says, be followers of me. Let me remind you, there are people who are followers of you. And then the second reminder is just this. Can you tell someone to follow you? Could, could you say this? I think we all kind of have a little, you know, asterisk, right? Where we'd say, follow me sometimes. Or follow me uh, maybe most of the time. But we all know there are ways that we fail, right? Well, Paul failed too. But I think his point is in his focus, in his trajectory, in his heart, he was moving forward for the Lord, right? Do you know that everyone who moves forward for the Lord has failures and sins along the way, right? As he says, I have not yet attained. I am not perfect. But the point is, if you're moving in the right direction, if you're moving forward, if you're repenting and confessing your sins, you know what? You can be someone to follow. Uh, if, if you can't be someone to follow in obedience, then be someone to follow in repentance, confession, and, and turning to the Lord, right? And so uh, he calls them to follow him. Now, he also uses this word, mark those. Now, um, I don't think he means get yourself a marker and go mark them up, right? But it is this idea of to watch and to, to look at carefully, to look at closely. It, it has an idea of, of, of this marking is to, to aim to, to look at with respect or to, to look at, to put one's focus on. And he's saying, be followers of me and mark those who walk so. The word so is connected with the word walk, okay? <laughs> uh, when I first read it, I read it through several times and I was studying, I was like, what? I, I was reading it as so as you have. So as you have. But he's saying who walks so. In other words, mark those who walk in this way. Mark those who walk like I do and follow them too. And this is another example of how it's not just about one person, right? Paul didn't say, hey, everybody follow me and no one else. Is that what Paul says? No. He says, mark those who walk so as you have us for an example. He uses the word us. Who is the us? Well, I think it's Timothy, it's Luke, it's uh, maybe some of the others, you know, that he mentions in his letters, Aristarchus, and um, I won't name off every name, but he says, follow us. Quick step back to the context. Paul's writing this from house confinement. He has soldiers chained to him, and he tells these people to follow him. They can't see him, right? They don't have live stream, right? They're not piping in his sermons, okay? He says, follow me. Follow me. Why? What does he mean by follow me? Well, a couple things. He is telling them to follow his prior example. In other words, the life he lived when he was there. He's telling them to listen to his letters and to accept them and to follow in what he's teaching and saying in his letters. And I think he's also hopeful that someday he can be with them again as we've discussed. Um, he mentions us, and there's someone going to be delivering the letter, right? So follow me, follow the one who delivers the letter, and um, there's always a number of people you can be following for the Lord. 
So we see the good example. Let's, let's move quickly and try to wrap up. We see the bad examples. Look at the bad examples, verse 18. For many walk, of whom I have, also, I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, who mind earthly things. Paul's concerned these Philippians are going to follow the wrong examples. And can I remind you that not everyone who names the name of Christ, and beyond that, not even every believer is someone that you want to follow after. It appears that he's talking about unbelievers in verse 18 and 19. Because he says in verse 19, whose end is destruction. In other words, their end is punishment. And um, we assume that that means hell. Um, And he goes on to talk about other aspects of their living. And these are enemies of the cross of Christ. There again, we see that they're likely unsaved. Now, it is possible for a Christian to, you know, be a friend of the world, enmity with God and that sort of thing. But putting it all together, it looks like lost people. And as I think about this concept of enemies, he says, don't follow an enemy of the cross. Now, doesn't that sound really basic? Hey, Christian, you've trusted Christ. You're God's child. Now, don't follow an enemy of the cross. All right, thanks for that, Paul. Appreciate it. I think I could probably figure that out. Well, people don't always show up with a big sign that says, I am an enemy of the cross, do they? That's not how it works. Oftentimes, they show up saying, I know Jesus. I'm, I, I'm a Christian too. And they come along, and they may seem as though they're a friend to the cross or they really love Christ or whatever it may be. But notice some of the things that it describes of them in verse 19. So we talked about the destruction, all right? But next it says, whose God is their belly. Hmm. This this attribute doesn't really normally sound like an enemy of the cross, right? Is this just talking about someone that, like, eats too much? Well, I I don't believe it's simply that, right? Although, you know, that's not a a good thing. But, But whose God is their belly, it actually, I believe, is talking about people who are given over to the pleasures of this life. Notice the last one is who mind earthly things. Who mind earthly things. Whose God is their belly. And then he says whose glory is their shame. There's two general groups that people think this might be referring to. One is the Judaizers. And the big push in that direction would be earlier in chapter 3. He referenced them very clearly. Remember the concision. um, I guess he uses the mutilation. uh, Dogs so on, and and the circumcision, he uses these terms earlier in the chapter. I tend to think that this is actually talking about the the philosophy of life from the world. And it's talking about the Greeks and the Stoics, but not specifically the Stoics as much as the other, I believe it's Epicurean, I believe is the name. And these were the ones that taught that you live for the pleasure of your body. And that's why it says they mind earthly things and whose God is their belly. When we talk about God is their belly, you can do a little research. I didn't didn't want to, A, get too in the weeds, and B, I didn't want to gross everyone out. But you can read about the Romans feasting and gorging and purging, and it's, it's quite a disgusting thing. But Epicureans were wrapped up in this type of life where they would give themselves over to... Um, really awful and strange and disgusting eating habits um, with feasting. And that God is their belly. They had this teaching that 
this life is the only chance you have to experience joy or pleasure. And so you need to get as much joy and pleasure and sensation you can, as you can while you're here. I think I've determined that we're probably not going to finish, all right? Uh, these last couple of verses are so important and so great. Let's look at the other description here. It says of these enemies of the cross, it says whose glory is in their shame. Whose glory is in their shame. This idea of glory is, is, is the idea of boasting or what someone treasures or prizes. And they have something that they should be ashamed of, but instead they're boasting in it. Right? It's kind of, you know, I guess an example might be a, a child who boasts in their disobedience. Right? You'd say, you shouldn't boast in your disobedience. You should be ashamed of yourself. Right? Well, these, and, and it may have the idea of um, glorying in, in sinful activities, perhaps uh, sexual things, perhaps, uh, you know, there, there may be a range of different things, but they're rejoicing or they're boasting in something they should be ashamed of. And they've reversed the, the plan of God and, and the mission of God. And he says, look, here's me walking towards what is ahead of me. I'm forgetting those things that are behind me. A lot of those things behind him were worldly blessings and you know, position and power and privilege and all those things. He says, I put that behind me. I'm pressing toward the mark. Come follow me. Come follow the others who are going this way. And he says, watch out for those bad examples. Watch out for those enemies of the cross of Christ because one day they will be in hell. One day, uh, you know, uh, they, they, they glory in their shame. They... They just live for today. They live for their own pleasure. They live for the moment. And they just love the, the things of this earth. Do you remember what Paul said in Colossians? Earlier in chapter 2, we, we preached... Or no, this is Philippians. In Colossians 2, it says... Um, set ch chapter 3, verse 2. Chapter 3, verse 2. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. And he specifically warns us not on the things on the earth. In verse 5, he says this, Colossians 3, verse 5, Put to death, therefore, the parts of your body that are on the earth. And he goes on to list fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil desire, and covetousness. And he lists off a number of earthly sins that are on the earth that must be put off. Directly... The lost world, or what can I say, the Epicureans probably didn't come into church and say, let's have a study of Epicurean philosophy. Let's, let's open up the text of, uh, I wish I knew an Epicurean, Epicurious, right? Let's read his and let's do a study on Epicurious and then you can see how much fun you can have in this life. That's not probably how it went. But there were others that we call antinomians and they taught that, oh, once you're in Christ, you're forgiven of everything. And all sin is forgiven, past, present, and get this, future as well. So that means that whatever sin you do tomorrow, it's already forgiven. So that means you can just live how you want, and you can just take it easy. And Paul says, uh, 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 these are enemies of the cross of Christ. I'm forgetting those things that are behind me. I'm pressing forward to those things that are ahead. This is how I'm going to live my Christian life. He's going to go on to talk about the focus being on heaven. His idea of leaving those things that are behind 
and people who mind earthly things. And then he says, reaching forward to those things that are ahead. It reminds me of just a turning of mindset from the natural man to the spiritual man. And I'm going to close by reading something, and I forgot to write down the name of the person who wrote this. Not for me, okay? It's uh, many, many years ago he, he wrote this, and it was a very godly man writing to his nephew, and he wrote in this letter, and he said, I have often prayed that daily and to the end I may live as in a tent, pitched between the cross and the grave of our Lord, the empty cross, the symbol and seal of his finished work and sacrifice of redemption, and the empty grave, likewise the evidence and pledge of his eternal victory for us over the last enemy, death, and of our life hid with him in God. May your tent ever be there also, and there we might say, not only because of the power of the cross and resurrection in the face of death, but also because of their power in the face of life. And then he wrote this poem. Safe and sheltered from alarm and loss, I sit within my quiet tent. Twixt here a grave and there a cross. My days and nights in peace are spent. Peace, grace, and glory now he gives. Fair fruits of his unfathomed woes. And within me in my tent he lives. The lamb that died, the life that rose. Pilgrim's Progress is a story of Pilgrim who is heading to the eternal city. And he has to leave what is behind him and he has to press forward to what is ahead of him. And that attitude and that mindset is not just for a day or for a week. That is to be our ongoing mindset. And so we must be careful who we follow. And we must be careful that we truly set our eyes on Christ. Let's set our tent between the empty cross and the empty tomb pitched toward what is ahead of us and not looking back to what is behind us. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord God, I thank you for this passage and we see Paul's heart and his love for these Philippians. We see how he urges them to continue going forward for the Lord. I pray that you would stir up within our church a holy discontentment. Discontentment with status quo or with a clinging to this earth. I pray that we will let go of earthly things and that we will put our heart and our mind towards you Help us to embrace what you have for us. Each one of us lives a different type of life and we have different responsibilities and different situations, Lord, but we all have this same mind in you and that is to live for you, to set our affection on things above, to follow those who follow you. Help us, I pray, to keep pressing forward spiritually that we would not be content. In Jesus' name, amen.